0: August 14th, 2023. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 789. Sell everything you own and get in a spaceship. Welcome to overthinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out together, talking over the things that we enjoy together. We enjoy it more. When we enjoy it together, whether that's uh, a rock and retro mix on cassette, or you know, restoring justice and and uh, and fairness and equity to the to the galaxy, we're like a team of a uh, team of genetically modified malcontents, and we are here to, uh, I don't know, we're here to—I don't know—we're here to. I'm actually not even totally sure what what we're here to do Gu- at guard, this point. Guard,
1: guard, guard the galaxy. We're here now. to that's guard the.
0: the we're here to guard the galaxy, but we're only here to guard it on streaming. Uh, because, you know, <laughs> can't be bothered to spend 32 actual dollars American to, uh, go to the theater and, and see a movie. But when a movie comes out on Disney Plus, we are ready. Bob Chapek conditioned us to be ready to, uh, to not go to the theater and to watch the, watch the film on streaming. And we have watched The Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I am, uh. Volume
1: three.
0: Vo- oh, sorry. Yes. Clear. Volume three. Volume three. Um, does not feature Ego the Living Planet, uh, nope. which is sad uh, because I think more movies should feature uh, Ego the <laughs> Living Planet
2: or yeah, you like know, Atonement. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a great movie for Ego the Living Planet to be in, like uh, <laughs> Beaches. <laughs> yeah, we right. Absolutely, Steel yeah. Steel Magnolia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um
0: yes uh Guardians of the Galaxy a uh, which is a a romp an action co- an action comedy romp about animal cruelty. Uh so uh I'm That's not going ra- to away from it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Like whatever whatever happened, the sad raccoon at the beginning, just looking up so terrified uh of the big hand reaching toward it was uh anyway, so uh sad raccoons. Uh spoilers for all raccoons, uh, spoilers for all genetic modifications, all species. And we're uh we're gonna talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh we normally introduce ourselves. I you can call me Star Lord, but my name is Matt rather. I'm here with Pete Fenzel.
1: Hello, Pete. Hey Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Oh, I'm sitting on a chair. So for today, you can call me chair. I feel like you can <laughs> call me chair. I am. I, I am chair. I am uh, chair.
0: So let's uh, let's let's dive in. Pete, you you are fresh off the, streaming yeah. this film. So you uh, have the, the privilege of uh, reminding us what it was all about. Uh, Pete, sure. can you please summarize <laughs> Guardians sure. of the Galaxy Volume 3 for us?
2: I will first say that it is not the money that kept me from watching this movie in the theater. I paid real cash money to watch Money Plane. I will spend money on movies, and this was a good movie. <laughs> it is it is the fact that it was pretty freaking long and the travel time and the scheduling with kids and vacations and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, this is a movie where we start with a dejected Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, living in nowhere – the oh, This is, yeah, spoilers, obviously. The, the head of the celestial, which we've seen in previous movies, uh, and the Guardians of the Galaxy are setting up shop like the Ghostbusters, hanging up a big old sign, <laughs> which is, of course, in a language that you and I probably don't understand, which perhaps makes us inferior beings uh, worthy of extermination, but perhaps not. And uh, we, we are introduced to one of the conflicts, which is that uh, Peter Quill uh, is, is mourning the loss of his girlfriend uh, Gamora, who, of course, there's a version of her that exists in this reality, but it's not the one that he was with. And that has been a great source of grief for him and something he can't really move past. And that is something that undergirds the entire movie. The, the second bigger thing that happens, right, is that uh, the a, a mysterious Marvel villain known as the High Evolutionary, who is uh, – I should actually bring up the uh, – the, the IMDb, so that I can uh, cite the cast of this movie because they were great, uh, has decided that he wants back uh, Rocket Raccoon, who is one of his experiments, because Rocket Raccoon has a one of a kind brain that uh, nobody else has uh, and uh, nobody else he's encountered has. And so he has enlisted the Sovereign from Guardians of the Galaxy 2 to get it back for him including the mysterious and oft-rumored Adam Warlock. Uh, So the high evolutionary, of course, is uh, uh, Chukwuri Iwuji. Uh, So I might refer to him as Iwuji. And then there's, uh, there's, of course, Will Poulter. I won't go through everybody. What I'm really looking for is Miriam Shore is the person that I wanted to cite because I wanted to make sure she is who I think she is. Maybe she isn't. Um, But uh, she looked like one of the aliens from Earth Final Conflict. Uh, but she might be too young for it. But at any rate, uh, if you watch her File Conflict and you got that little ping uh, that I got, then, uh, then maybe – no, it's not her. Then you'd be, you'd be excited about it. But the, po- the point being is, is that uh, they sent Adam Warlock to get Rocket, and in his attempt to get Rocket, he badly injures Rocket. And Rocket is badly injured and is on his deathbed. Uh, it, is, it is impossible to use advanced uh, medical healing technology to fix him because he has been so badly hurt. Uh, and no, no, it's because he has a kill switch switch in him because he's the intellectual property of the high evolutionary. Oh, well, you uh,
0: up until that point, Pete, this was the plot of the, I think, second season Star Trek, the next generation episode shades of gray, which Uh, which was a clip show, right? Which was a budget (laughs) saving clip show in which Riker is in a coma, uh, and needs to resolve his, uh, like internal trauma or whatever to, uh, you know, to wake up.
2: Right, yes. But no, this is not – Rocket does not flashback to making out from random women from the early 90s. That is not what happens throughout the course of this movie. But the point being that Rocket is uh, on the edge of death and has a flashback of the time when he was in captivity uh, where you meet his sort of secret of Nim buddies who live with him in the (laughs) awful cages where they were created and experience their whole emotional arc uh, as they are – As they discover that they are but instruments in the creation of the new utopia and not its uh, end in itself, they will not be invited into this new utopia of this utopian high evolutionary who is trying to genetically engineer a perfect world uh, that is uh, based on Earth because he really likes Earth because he has questionable taste. Uh, um, It's like uh, it's like you took
0: the they're the saddest Muppet babies ever. Yes, but it's yes, you yes. know it's like you took the Muppet babies and uh, you know raised them in the nursery, letting Miss Piggy know that you were you know raising her for slaughter. Uh, it's yeah. it's a of a level of of cruelty comparable to that that yes. uh, you know that that Kermit you're going to end up on some Frenchman's plate one day.
2: You right, know? right, right. Which I think is a plot of the first Muppet movie. Isn't this, is it the great Muppet caper where that's, what's going to happen, where they're going to like electrocute Kermit. Yeah. Cause they're not going to electrocute Kermit in the first Muppet movie. I think that's, I'm thinking of the great Muppet caper with Charles Grodin, right. Where they're going to serve him for frog legs. Um, they do get around to it, just not when he's a baby. It takes a little while. They, they wait till he can see the movie in the theater before they, uh, they threaten to kill him in ways that raise the rating. Uh, but yes, so the Guardians of the Galaxy mount up despite their various emotional hangups and go hunting for the, uh, the kill switch. They go hunting for the code that will disable the block on Rocket Raccoon's healing. Right. For this device that's in him that's preventing him from being healed. They go out and they're going to hunt down the code. And in searching after the code, they go up the chain of this organization run by this fellow, which includes visiting, uh, what might be charitably described as a biotech company, <laughs> um, which, where, uh, and, wow. uh, and then of course a, uh, a colony that has been created by him and finally his own spaceship, uh, where they learn various notions uh, and and experience various interrogations of both the concept of egalitarianism and the concept of elitism and uh, and the sort of the question about the rational will as the source of value, right? I like, guess uh, and and other sorts of questions, ethical questions are considered. Uh, and then they various they they sort of mount their general attack until they are able to uh, save the day, save everybody. I mean, I guess I could go into more detail about like what happens in the movie, but the the general we'll gist there. of what we're yeah. going to talk about, right? is like, All the while they're being pursued by Adam Warlock, who it turns out is is was like not sort of cocooned to maturity and whose family has been killed. Uh, the Sovereign have been killed, or at least his mom has been killed, the leader of the Sovereign at this point. And so he is out to finish his mission, but doesn't really have guidance. Uh, and we we watch in parallel as Adam Warlock's story, uh, you know, travels alongside the Guardians of the Galaxy story until it finally intersects in the end uh, with a reference to Michelangelo. That is uh, very complicated. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I, I guess... So, so I'm surprised that you called this an animal cruelty movie, Matt, because I experienced it much more as a movie about the difference – I mean more about people. Um, I mean I guess obviously it is about – there are animals in it that are being experimented on, and that's a big part of it. But the questions about animal cruelty are extended to many different kinds of gaps in the way people are treated and valued based on perceived differences in their capability. Um, mm. you know, including so the guardians themselves to be clear. Yeah, 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 exactly. Even within the group. So like there's all these different ways in which people are treated differently because of what they're capable of and assumptions about what they're capable of and expectations about what they should be capable of. And, uh, and even, even up to and including the idea that, you know, Peter Quill wants the Gamora who exists to be the Gamora that he knew and she isn't, and she isn't capable of it because that's not who she is, but it's his idea of who she ought to be and and that and and so you have both the the mirror of the sort of heroic and villainous approach to this question is you know peter quill is the hero and he sees gamora as she is why is gamora you know the question that hangs over the entire series um he sees gamora as it is she wants gamora to be other than what she is uh and he is he experiences this as grief and he sort of processes it eventually and he uh he, he responds to it with a kind of generosity of spirit, and eventually kind of grows as a person as a result, and ends up doing some stuff that he needs to do to get his life in order, including retiring from the Guardians of the Galaxy for a time, at least ex- for him, uh, requesting an extended family leave, and then uh, and then there's the High Evolutionary who is accused of experiencing life that he that is not what he expects it to be, not he what he wants it to be on Earth that he he. Uh, He has idealized because of its culture and art, but that its actual material and and personal and social uh, and and almost spiritual condition is like not what he could tolerate. Uh, And so he has kind of uh, uh, gone after that with a myopic, narcissistic, uh, you know, utopian vision for how he's going to fix everybody else that's wrong because they don't match what's going on in his mind and his image of what he wants them to be. Uh, and, and that animals get caught up in this, of course, because of all living things, you know, they have not, I mean, they're not the greatest cause we're not talking about mushrooms, but like they have the, the very great distance in what they're capable of and how they're considered and how they exist, uh, versus like how people think they should be or what they should be, uh, and, uh, and, and what their responsibilities are and kind of what their, their life is. I, 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 I there's a lot going on in this movie <laughs> and, um, I guess, I guess I would hand off by saying that like maybe one, there's many Downton Abbey moments in the movie, Uh, where they are talking about stuff that isn't really relevant to the movie and they make a sort of statement of purpose that thematically relates to everything that's happening. Um, Because they're just constantly talking about the main themes of the movie. Everybody is. Uh, I guess one question that I would that I would kick it off with, that I would pose is Nathan Fillion is in this movie in a very important role as the head of security for the biotech company, or if not the head of security, the sort of chief NCO of security, the sort of squad leader for his security team in his big uh, flesh suit that he carries, that he wears around. And there's an interaction where he talks to Star Lord and Star Lord is kind of trying to cover up a misspeaking that Drax has made by saying that Drax is. Is as uh, is a nepotism hire, right? Uh, that he's that he's stupid, that he's incapable as job, but he's on the team because he's related to the boss. And Nathan Fillion also then points to his own underling and says like Yeah, this guy too. I get it. And I feel like for me, the core to really digging into this movie is like, why is Nathan Fillion a dick? Like, what's wrong? What's specifically wrong with Nathan Fillion's character in this movie that makes him so unsympathetic and so terrible? And in particular, that moment where he points to his direct, his like the guy under his command and insults him, you know, like, uh, I mean, there's that there's the whole bad dog thing. But that's the first thing that I would that I would raise as a as a like, if we're going to talk about this movie intellectually, why is Nathan Fillion a dick? Um, and I, were his eyes computer jaw- image?
0: It's the jawline, isn't yeah. <laughs> it?
2: That's the, that's
0: the reason it's the jawline.
2: Uh, I mean did that strike you guys at all the sort of like that whole plot with the uh with the giant flesh station and how the people there were jerks yeah I, um,
0: like the the really the really disquieting sort of dr pimple popper fantasia of yeah. uh you know of yeah of like adipose tissue and uh I you know I don't know veiny structures uh, within within the thing I found just just sort of disquieting, you know, my the the a little a little, um, yeah. you know, to almost saw my lunch a second time kind of kind of situation. I, mean, I, I
2: think you're supposed to. I think that's the geometric principle of the action sequences in this movie, which is like they're ugly. This is this is a movie in which there is a conflict between the way the world as it is uh, exists as 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 in contrast to the way that people think that it ought to be and the action sequences are very flagrant in their grotesquerie, right? They're like, oh, the action sequences are between grotesque people, and they reflect a grotesque quote-unquote reality, And if you can't get behind that grotesque reality, I think what the movie is saying is that you don't understand and you can't get behind this movie or the people in it or this world or maybe even your own world, right? That there's something truer about rooting for an action sequence in which somebody's, like, face gets melted, gets torn off (laughs) because, like, that's the kind of thing that happens to people when they fight to the death Uh, or, like – rather than, like, a very neat, punchy, punchy movie where, like – you know, or like Meg Ryan hits a truck and has like one scratch on her face before she dies and Nick Cage oh, really? you know, comes down. A really
0: yeah, really picturesque. A really picturesque scratch. That is true. And the the sort of the very end, uh the like extremely chaotic take on Noah's Ark at the very end of the movie yes. with like all the animals, you know, jumping through, you know, the hard vacuum of space in order to find a new home on on nowhere their their arc. Like this was uh it it was chaotic. It was it was messy and kind of messiness as a as a principle of the movie is is a really interesting idea, and like I, something I something I, want, something I want to get into. But I, I don't want to leave behind your question about Nathan Fillion, who's an odd person to fixate on, Pete. I mean, why are you fixate? Why are you just? Why are you so horny for Nathan Fillion? Is it the is it the jawline? Is it the you know his his uh, chiseled chiseled jawline? No, no, um, no I'm te- I'm teasing. But the the idea, uh, the idea that like he's sort of the one who stands out, and it's true. But like the high evolutionary is the big villain, right? Of of this thing, but. In some ways, Nathan Fillion makes kind of a bigger impression in the second act of this movie than the high evolutionary does in, in the third with all his like unhinged ranting and raving about, you know, genetically modifying everybody until they're until they're perfect. I mean, I don't know. Was he uh, was he was he not loved as a young raccoon? You know,
2: <laughs> I mean, so so the, you want me to seriously answer your question? Why fixate on Nathan Fillion in this movie? Because there are reasons. There's two reasons.
0: Two, two principal quote, reasons. I love that. There's
2: two two main reasons why I fixated Nathan Fillion for this movie. So this is the Adam Warlock movie. And the the difference between the Adam Warlock movie we thought we were going to get in all of the years that it was hyped that Adam Warlock was going to be in one of these movies, and the Adam Warlock that showed up is, I think, related in an interesting meta way to the text and subtext of this movie. Um I don't know how much you guys know or care about Adam Warlock. Very little. Uh, But Adam Warlock was supposed to be one of the main characters in the Infinity Saga. Like in the comic books, he's one of the main dudes against Thanos. Right. Like and and he's sort of indispensable in the comic book story of the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, And and it was teased for a long time that he was going to eventually show up. There's even the cocoon that shows up that he's supposedly in. And he's this like genetically engineered perfect person known as him. Right. Who is sort of worthy of uh, of handling the Infinity Stones in a way that everybody else isn't, which is not the principle that these kinds of movies are operating from in this interpretation so one of the and one of the rumors was that Nathan Fillion had signed on to play Adam Warlock in um, one of these movies and had, in fact, even possibly shot scenes where he was Adam Warlock that were not used. And that this I don't know why I don't I don't really have the, this was years ago. This was years ago that this all happened, and I don't know enough about it to sort out the truth from the fiction, so it's perhaps most accurate just to relay what my impression of it was, which was like Nathan Fillion is going to show up with his big square-jawed heroic firefly face, and he's going to be the golden guy who is this like – what basically Captain Marvel turns out to be in the MCU movies is going to be this like interstellar, inter you know interdimensional cosmic power that assists the heroes in a way that they can't assist themselves. And instead, he's here playing this like lowly security guard, right? And uh, and yet it's also a really beefy part and a good part and an interesting part. I thought where he has like interesting things to say. He has interesting things. He does weird things with his face. He has interesting things to do, right? Like he's a, he's a big. Part so I paid more attention to him because it was sort of a dawn goes down today situation. It would be sort of like it's not on the level of like oh Henry Cavill is going to be in the next Mission Impossible movie and it turns out that he's just like a guy working in a grocery store. And it's like oh well in the last one he was like the big opposition. He was the big what happened? Why is he there? And then if that whole movie was kind of about the last shall be first and the first shall be last, then it's like oh interesting, right? That's interesting. You know, if he didn't um,
0: already have a role in the Marvel cinematic universe, you know who would have been perfect for that part as metacasting? Jeremy Renner.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like
0: Jeremy Renner was supposed to be the next Tom Cruise. Jeremy Renner yep. was supposed to like, you know, bounce off the hurt locker into a whole bunch of uh into to fame and fortune and and artistic immortality and et cetera, et cetera. So I see. So you're saying that the character is a dick because Nathan Fillion is disappointed that he doesn't get to play a cooler part in the <laughs>
2: yes, yes, exactly. The saga. But I would also say that it's because because Nathan Fillion has that job because he looks like the kind of guy who should have that job mm. uh, with a square jaw. He talks like this. He's real serious and he's in charge, but he's a bad leader because he's treating his his employees like garbage. Right, like He's treating his teammates like trash, and so he shouldn't have that job. But he's the idea of what you think he is, should be the person who has that job. And that's kind of part of what he's playing. And also somebody who has internalized this idea that he should have this job. Uh, and because he has that image of himself, then he hasn't improved himself at all. It's like one of the suppositions, right? He's like he's kind of a trash person because he does the thing that he always thought that he should do. And it's sort of his own image is, is part of it. This is all reading into a lot of a, of a part that doesn't quite go into that detail. The other reason, uh, which is much another angle uh, in this movie, is did you also notice that Molly Quinn is in this movie? Um, did you guys see Molly Quinn in this movie?
1: Uh, remind me who that is. What exactly. You
2: don't know who Molly Quinn is. And that's another this is why it's relevant to this movie. Molly Quinn is the actress who played Nathan Fillion's daughter in the television show Castle. And she shows up as one of the Ravagers in the beginning of the movie. Uh, now, I don't know if you ever watched the television show Castle. Uh, it's a procedural TV show. Uh, you know, it's solving crimes and and uh, and whatnot. It's like a mystery uh,
1: writer, right? That's the cold.
2: Yeah, it's, it's murder. Stick she wrote, out. except murder. She wrote is like a is a thick boy. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's, with a square it's like murder.
0: Murder. He smoldered.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So Castle has a very special significance to me. Right. Um, which I don't know if you've i ever told you guys about. Um which is another one of the other arguments that this movie makes about not quite egalitarianism, but kind of universal dignity and a kind of universal appreciation for for thinking beings of various levels of thought um, is that if you don't and one of the practical arguments for it is that if you exclude your notion of what ought to be included to include that which you think ought to be there, then you will never be surprised by the unexpected combinations and the chaotic chaotic spread of knowledge and skills and all the things that people turn out to be able to do if you take the time to get to know them that you write off like all the talent you lose all of the like opportunity that you lose this is like oh drax speaks the language of the little children like oh rocket raccoon has like a generative creative genius mind for engineering Right Like all of these like ugly, stupid people have characteristics that you would lose, and some of them come from them being ugly and different, because you know you, you if you're looking for what you don't have, then you have to look at what you don't have. You know if you exclude people, then they might be the things that you don't have because you excluded them. but also it, a lot of it is because of experience. You know, like like people go through life and have experiences and kind of accumulate skills and 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 uh, emotional growth and other sort of characteristics. And uh, and those things become important. You know, Nebula has sort of been through all sorts of stuff that makes her really powerful in this movie. So Castle is the show that I watched whenever my sisters went into labor. I actually, when my well, first time, That's one of my sisters. Really specific, was, Pete. Wow. Super specific. <laughs> so, like, one of the. Is it the so f-
0: because it produces oxytocin and induces uh, babies to be born? Is that, you know, is, is there a genetic, is there a biological link? Oh, I'm excuse saying.
2: Excuse me, high evolutionary. Everything sorry. has to be instrumental for you, right? In the grand <laughs> plan. Everything <laughs> needs to serve a purpose. You're a Western reductionist. There's a biological right?
0: like- <laughs> link, isn't there, between the television show Castle and, and your niece's nephews being born?
2: I mean, I'm just saying that when Nathan Fillion got on national television pregnancy rates went up. I'm not going to say why, <laughs> but <laughs> no, no, no. But yes, it's 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 a it's a TV show that it's like what it happened to be on when the first time one of my sisters went on when it's labor. And I was I had never really watched it before. And I decided to sort of watch it because I was so giddy and nervous. Right. I was so, so nervous. I didn't know, you know, oh, you know, is it going to be OK? Is everything going to be OK? Um, and then after that happened, I bought a season of Castle on Google Play. And then every time one of my sisters went into labor, I would turn on an episode of Castle and watch it as a sort of like good luck charm for all of them like having successful births. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. The only exception being one time when one of my sisters went into labor while I was in an improv show, like performing in an improv show, in which case I just talked to the audience about it, which in retrospect was a mistake. But uh, but yeah, so- <laughs> No,
0: what you should have done is talk to the audience as Nathan Fillion.
2: Yes. <laughs> But I guess this is all a lot to say that, like, I have a I was particularly sensitive to recognizing Molly Quinn and in particular to recognizing that both Molly Quinn and Nathan Fillion are in this movie. Uh, and of course, I don't think anybody else from the cast of Castle was in this movie. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't know about Castle, buddy, because one of your uh, Matt, one of your one of your great. I don't know if it's one of your great loves because it's not Dawson's Creek. Um, right. But uh, did you did you watch the you watch the O.C., right?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, the yeah, OC, yeah. the OC was the sort of spiritual progenitor of Gossip Girl, which uh, became the TFT podcast. Uh, yeah, which, yeah. You know, before it, it was a music podcast called Theory for Turntables. Oh. Was a teen soap podcast called These Fornicating Teenagers.
2: You know what? It's not the OC. It's there's this actress in Castle named Stana Kotick. I've thought for a long time she was the main. She was the woman from the O.C., but she's not. They just look very similar. Oh, yeah. She does look a lot like um, Misha Barton. Yeah, Misha Misha. Barton. That's not Misha Barton. That's Stonica. Clearly, I only watched Castle when my sisters were in labor. Um, But mine was
0: preoccupied by by other things.
2: But anyway, we're wasting a lot of time talking about this rather than talking about the rest of the movie. But maybe it isn't wasted because it's bringing in all these ideas of like this is kind of what life is like. You have some sort of weird relationship with Nathan Fillion. It's probably pretty random. He's in this movie. You have emotional resonances with this movie. Um and, and, and yet he's and yet he's a dick to people because he's not treating, you know, his own his own life the way that you might treat encountering him, as like a happy accident among a series of happy accidents. Uh, you know, as like uh as something that if it is fated, is guided by a hand that's beyond what you can comprehend. Sure. Right? Like that little bit of superstition of like, I'm going to play castle every time one of my sisters goes into labor because every time I have and every time they have, they've been okay. Right. Right? Like, and uh, um, it, so, can yeah. we Zoom it out a little bit as well. Why, zoom, mess, right? with, my, but, why, why mess with why the is,
0: universe if that's, yeah. you know, well, if that's
2: working for you. So so why
1: is Nathan filling a jerk in this movie and why is he allowed to be a jerk? Well, so, because, so, Orgo, Orgo, because Orgo Corp, his employer, is bad at human resources and bad at talent management.
2: That's one right. of the arguments, right? One of the arguments is like they should be responsible for him, right? Like they should be controlling his behavior, or also like he, they shouldn't have put him in this job. They put should have put somebody else in this job, um, or yeah, well, they shouldn't have put Nathan filling the job, and they also
1: shouldn't have put you know the uh, the nepo the nepo baby in the job. But I that's you know like, <laughs> like
0: the the this is clearly Orgo Corp is clearly uh, an organization that exists outside of a lot of tight regulatory frameworks. Uh, You know, <laughs> ones that that govern human resources, so, ones that govern employee safety, <laughs> ones that govern like, you know, I don't know, not making abominations. Uh, right. That's that's uh. so, you know, we 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 should we should not be surprised if we if we discover some practices inside the organization, if there are some cultural norms that we would find a little bit
2: iffy. So So this is interesting, right, because you're kind of I mean, Mark, you're not wrong, but you're also kind of looking at the way the world is with a bit of contempt. Right Where it's like, well, they shouldn't – this shouldn't be this way. That guy shouldn't mm-hmm. be in that job. That other guy yeah. shouldn't be in that job. This organization shouldn't exist. It shouldn't do this. This all should be restarted or reorganized or someone needs to come in and fix it. And that's one – I think that's one perspective, right? And I think that the Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't That's the high evolutionary's perspective? Well, that's what I'm a whole better Yeah. Well, it's a suggestion both of the higher evolutionary and also of the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? It's like – it, the idea that, like, you know, a lot of these superhero movies, the idea is you have, like, the mirroring of, like, the two different invocations of the similar idea of who the superhero is, and the evil one is the mirror of the good one. And the idea yeah. is the Guardians of the Galaxy intervene in the world. You can't say that they're not interventionists. Like, at the, in the after credits, when he starts killing the, when Rocket starts killing all the animals, you know, it's like, he's not a vegan. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like, uh, he's not, like, gonna oppose any killing of any animals. Like, he's in the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's part of his job. It, but, when he makes decisions about doing it, he makes them differently than how the high evolutionary does. And and the idea that he would even have an absolute rule about it is kind of contrary to how you would expect to do it. But that's a legitimate idea. It's like this is a problem that needs to be fixed. The other idea is that he's in his situation. He doesn't recognize his special responsibility that he has because he is smarter than his employee, because he is more experienced. You know, because he he is in his position of leadership because of his skills and experience and capability. And that puts him in a position of responsibility for this person and cruelty to somebody that you are responsible for is heinous. Right. It is it is an abrogation of duty. It is not only counterproductive. It's cruel. It's ungenerous in spirit. It insults the like dignity of people in a very special way. People rely on you when you're in charge of them. When when you like owe yourself to them, like your livelihood, your safety, you know, and you owe it to them, and then they they dehumanize you, and they demean you, and they insult you, and they disregard you, like that in and of itself is is a is a terrible wrong. I think is what one of the things that this movie is saying. So so like,
0: Pete, you're, it's not not about animal cruelty then.
2: No, no no no. It's but it's like animal cruelty is an extension of human cruelty. Because you know, when we are humans, we are the ones who are doing the cruelty. So it's sort of like—I I guess that's the idea, right? It's like it doesn't—it doesn't, it doesn't just stop with people. Yeah, it's—it's
0: um, it's, well, right. And the, the animals are, are all represented, except for the you know the horrible. What do they call them? The abominations at the end, of <laughs> like like war pig, you know, oh, uh, war pig.
2: yeah, like the cyborg things or yeah. whatever. I don't even remember what those guys were called. They were—they could have been called Chitari for all I care. <laughs> like the swarm of baddies, right? The like the the evil robots that come out at the end for the sure. evil robot fight. they're, they're at least only they part, they're only
0: part robot, Pete. You know, yeah, uh, they are. Yeah, they are part,
2: abominations. Though.
0: They're partly partly organic, right? That that all the all the animals that are being experimented on are represented as children you know yeah. and in, in those those cages that they're in are and the sort of things that they they find to amuse themselves these are like these are like horror playpens you know with like little little horrible children's toys uh it, it, you know recapitulated in a terrible register and that like you you know the the atmosphere of sort of trust and dependency Right, that they have with the high evolutionary is sort of mirrored with the the atmosphere of of um or sorry uh, yeah is is mir- mirrors the the atmosphere of a of a parent and child of a you know leader and a subordinate of anyone who is you know who has sort of a duty of care uh right and um and and who has a, a responsibility I suppose to see people as uh to see people as an ends and not not as a means yeah right because that's the the Bad thing about the the high evolutionary is that he sees everybody, um, he sees everybody around him as a means. But that's the, 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 it's interesting to kind of draw the line between that and the sort of the aesthetic of messiness, which I think is, is like a normative argument about, you know, messiness being good, like certainly better than, you know, an attempt to like purify the master race, right? That, that like, uh, the, the ragtag. Um quality of the guardians of the galaxy, which is one of the things that that you know distinguishes them as a as a troop of superheroes is um you know a, a represents a a sort of humanity right like a kind of disorderly humanity that uh ultimately is what it's creative it's generative it's uh fun you know it's chaotic yeah it's chaotic it engenders community like it's dance parties you know we are Groot right and that's yeah. the that's the whole thing i so i'm put in mind of a couple other of a couple other movies right where this has been explicitly a theme one speaking of nathan Fillion, is uh serenity right where um the the film that is the sort of uh consolation prize for firefly getting canceled and the idea that like oh the you know mysterious corporation or whatever is going to um is going to like genetically engineer everybody who is uh you know who's going to be the super race and then like everyone else is is just going to die um that that there's going to be a beautiful new world or you know, uh, from a much better writer and director, um, uh, Hot Fuzz. No, not Hot Fuzz. The World's End, uh, where the other Cornetto uh, trilogy movie, right? Where it's explicit, it, it's sort of, the argument is explicitly made, and this is actually probably the clearest articulation of this, that there is a value to antisocial behavior, which is <laughs> symbolized by this, uh, you know, uh, drunken pub crawl, that um gets uh and in
1: particular the Simon Pegg character, right? Who yeah, is exactly. like, kind of the least professionally and personally accomplished among the group.
0: Yeah. And that like there's actually something good about this. But this so this theme, like it's a it's a theme that's been explored variously in in different works where the like the attempt to attempt to uh perfect right the genome right or I don't know whatever to perfect the the social condition or to perfect um anything the sort of the 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 uh capital L liberal pro- project of improvement you know is improvement of people is uh shown is revealed to be sort of I don't know what is is revealed to be sort of fascistic and what uh I don't know i i guess like that's you know that's what i. I sort of noticed about this and like, I don't, do, do you feel like Pete, there, there's a relationship between these two themes? The theme of, um, you know, the, the kind of the normative claim about disorder being a useful and good, uh, quality for individuals and societies to have and the point about, uh, you know, neglect and sort of neglect of a duty of care, um, that is, uh, you know, that is pre- prevalent in other parts of the movie.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it feels pretty intuitive to me. The connection. Um, yeah, no, I, I was, I was yeah. trying to tee you up for. Oh, a while. No, I appreciate I was, it. You know, definitely. Uh, and I would extend it. I mean, I don't even necessarily think it's just liberalism. I think there's all sorts of political ideologies that are about perfecting things, sure. which, as a condition of their perfection, come with the notion that people need to behave a certain way and act a certain way and do certain things. Yeah, you know, you know, it, I yeah. like
0: I like reductive opposites, like uh, yeah. <laughs> you know how like comedy is about how things never change, and tragedy is uh, is about how nothing will ever be the same, right? Or yeah. or uh, um. You know, uh, we're uh, uh, liberalism is about how people are improvable, and uh, conservatism is about how people are as crappy as ever and will always be. So, the, right, right. you know, that's I, I like reductive. Uh, I like reductive binaries, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, for sure.
2: You. No, 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 no. It's all good. I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm 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 here. You clucking big chicken, as we as uh, one of my old roommates used to say to me all the time. Um, so yeah, I think the connection between well, I mean, pluralism is one way of putting it. The idea that. Uh, And I guess what also, the sort of destructive power of first principles? I'm trying to. So, one of the interesting tensions in the ideas around this movie is that you find them in a variety of different sorts of political standpoints that don't necessarily agree with each other. So, like, there's a bit of this movie that's anarchistic, right? Like, people, though, that nowhere is this, has like no real government, right? Like, the people kind of live in a commune. Uh, You know, it opens up with, you know, people sharing drinks out of a communal fridge. Right. Like and uh and so like everybody kind of gets along and gets by. Uh and, and so is this the sort of perfect society? Well, it's the one that ends up being capable of taking care of the lost children, mm. which is the thing that is like the one thing that is really morally necessary more than anything else in this movie is like somebody needs to take in the 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 people. It is a uh, it's a it's a it's a gr- wonderful image. I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful choice at the end of this movie to have Adam Warlock sitting with that blanket over him at the end of the movie. I thought mm. that was such a beautiful, beautiful moment because you go from him being like literally like God in the, in the Michelangelo Sistine Chapel ceiling, extending out his finger to like give life to Star-Lord and save his life by bringing him into the warmth of uh, an, an air mm-hmm. of safety of his friends uh, to like, you know, of course, he being like on the outside of the hug and not knowing how to participate, but then also being like, you know, a homeless orphan, who is, you know, you know, adult in his body, but still very young and that he is given this sort of homeless tableau, right? That like this, that's sort of like, uh, you know, what if God was one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to find his way home kind of thing. They play that song in the movie, uh, but that like uh, there's a humility in how you deal with well deal with is even the wrong term. I, I mean, really, really, it's about undesirableness, you know, the un, the undesirableness of people. Um, and how does your, if you have a particular idea for society that involves, you know, uh, a particular, you know, uh, desire, a desirableness, you know, there's something in your notion of how people should interact with each other that has a desirableness to it. Well, then what do you do about undesirableness? It's a very, like, almost, almost a semiotic question. You know, what does it mean for something to be wanted versus not wanted? Uh, and, uh, and in that sense, The connection between messiness and uh, anti-fascism can be described in terms of not wantedness Uh, that um, uh, I mean, you could also look at fascism as essentially revanchist. Right. And the idea that in our past. We were better than we were now. The past was better than now. That's one thing the high evolutionary seems to think. This big, beautiful art and culture that I haven't encountered anywhere else that was present on Earth a thousand years ago, if however long it was. I feel like he said a time frame that didn't make sense for what he was listening to at some point. Uh, maybe I missed uh, it. I was uh, like, uh, is he from the future? How many years is that? I don't get it. What year is it? Uh, but yeah, the idea that like, you're trying to get back to a past that never existed because you're excluding from your notion of your perfected past the things about the past that were undesirable. And you're setting them in opposition to the things in your present that you find undesirable. And you're excluding both of those things, both of the things in the present that you find undesirable and the things about your past that you find undesirable. Mm-hmm. And those things that are undesirable are often messy and, and don't conform aesthetically. Right. Because in the other sense, you know, there's a lot of aesthetics in fascism and in related all sorts of related and non-related ideologies and and aesthetics of how people ought to live. Um, So I guess that would be that would be part of it is like also you could say, you know, if you have a duocracy where the things that happen are because people make them happen, then to an extent your society is driven by desire because it's being driven by the desire of the people who are doing things. And that is something that can be either very good or very bad. Uh, I think that we see the Guardians of the Galaxy and the High Evolutionary both function as duocracies, where the person with the strongest want is the person who's getting something accomplished. But the person with the strongest want needs to be able to check their want against the things that they don't want. And and I think maybe this idea that you need to accept that the world isn't what you want it to be as a sort of act of emotional maturity and kind of healing – from your senses of loss and grief in your life is related to this idea that like if you have a vision, if you're looking to solve a problem, you need to keep in mind that there are things about the world that are not the way that you want them to be and won't be.
1: Can we um, can we for a moment there like cash that out with Peter's journey? And sure. This, I think that's what you're talking about here, right? Because he's distraught, you know, over the loss of Gomorrah and the kind of the not return, her not return.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and then he becomes distraught over um nearly losing Rocket, and then he sends Takes the guardians and they and everybody's motivated. In particular, it's Peter. was like we got to save Rocket, and they were going to do all these incredibly risky things, and like walk straight and literally walk straight into the office of the, the the evil the evil mastermind's lair, and just expect to, to get the thing. And and finally, at the end, right, he steps away from all of it and he goes back home to Earth to to hang out with his granddad. Right. So like, what exactly? What sort of like acceptance did he have to do along the way? And like, did he exactly pay a price? for the recklessness of like, you know, that just the, 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 this overwhelming will that he exerts on, on everyone and
2: everything around him. Are you familiar with the Derrida Baudrillard debate? Uh, no. Pat, have you heard of this? Um, this is a, this Oh, is I, a have pe- I have, I have Pete,
0: obviously, but you should explain it. In no, case no, no I mean, I don't know. It.
2: You like Derrida. <laughs> we talk about Baudrillard a fair amount. Um, there's a debate that Derrida and Baudrillard had after nine 11 about the war in Iraq um and one of the arguments that baudrillard put forward which derrida didn't really didn't really think was a good idea um and i and i think that if you're actually analyzing that situation i th- i would probably side with derrida and that there's a lot of complicated things that are happening in the politics of the middle east and so like framing it as a sort of semiotic and kind of uh, performative experience for Americans alone is like not a sufficient uh, way of explaining everything that was happening. But one of the ideas that was advanced, I believe, and I could be getting this wrong, so you know, take this, take this as, a, as a misreading, strong or weak as you see fit, was that the American culture and psyche uh, had, had in, the, in the 20th century, in the late 20th century in particular, after the Second World War, had developed around this idea of an intolerance toward death. Uh, and that that uh, the sort of um, do we get to win this time like Rambo two ethos is this rejection of mortality uh, and and uh, and that death and is uh, something that happens elsewhere right that like we sort of have this place where people don't die and uh, and you know and uh, and you know there's all the suffering in the rest of the world but it's not here the people are starving in Africa they're not starving here and that nine eleven was a trauma to the, this. of the American psyche because it presented them with an unavoidable proof that people die here and that the and that Baudrillard framed the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan in terms of a sort of emotional backlash against this uh, confrontation. The idea that the American people were so willing to back these wars because they were not in a position to cope with the reality of like mass murder on their own soil because they had been been developing and developed this society that gave them a sort of denial of death plausibly uh, in a cl- cultural way. Okay. And now, now I don't, I don't want to say it, talking about the actual wars. It's always way too complicated and everybody has different perspectives uh, based on what their role was in it. Cause these are global affairs. So it's always reductive to talk about it. But I think it's an interesting idea that like, you know, star war star Lord was a little kid. He never, and he was, he was taken away. He, he experienced the fantasy of being kind of rescued from the death of his mother by aliens who took him away from this world right like and i think that that james gunn is recognizing something about this character about this fantasy right that like uh yeah sure we all cry when star lord's mom is dying but really star world is like it's there's that feeling of like stop the world i want to get off you know like i don't want to be here anymore i wish i were anywhere else and it's like what if aliens came down and took you away and made you a pirate right like and the idea that a childlike psyche might in, might relate to the death of a loved one in that way, feels to me sympathetic and understandable. And that this is sort of part of the heart of who Star-Lord is, is, is in these movies, is he's somebody who's sort of engaged with this fantasy. And it's something that that a lot of people can identify with in their hearts. Uh, and it's an adventure fantasy, you know? You go on this adventure, and it's a beautiful thing. And of course, he deals with loss and all that. But the point being that, like, he never really... The idea of tolerating feelings is, is so important. The idea that you have to be able to feel bad and, and without relying on like maladaptive regulatory mechanisms right like like, like uh,
1: drinking yourself to a stupor which is exactly like drinking yourself
2: movie. into a stupor like horribly negative self-talk right like uh you know like any like all sorts of addictive behaviors you know violence against yourself right like all of these things that people can do to regulate their feelings i'm sorry i should have given trigger warnings before talking about a lot of stuff um but all these things that people can do to regulate their feelings because they can't just sit with them because they're too painful and um, and they, and it they, and they can have all sorts of effects on your, especially your ability to form relationships, right? Because if you can't tolerate loss, how are you supposed to be vulnerable with a partner? How is somebody supposed to matter to you enough that if you were to lose them, it would be the the end of your whole world? Sure, right? I mean, like the. the- you know,
0: the what you're describing, Pete, is what Freud called the family romance. Right? It's the mm. the when you real when a when a child realizes that the parents are not sort of everything you thought they were. You know, yeah. You, you imagine other parents, and they're like you know kings and queens or something. Yeah, like it's that.
2: Yondu, man. He's Mary Poppins, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> he's Mary. Exactly. That's what Mary Poppins is. She goes, "The mom's dead." There right? you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My my right. My uh my real mother is a magical nanny, or you know, I don't know. My my real family are wizards. Right? Is the yeah. uh, is, you know, the other kind of, the other kind of relevant Freud,
2: lo- Fre- Freud was a, was a Ravenclaw. Uh, <laughs> he didn't think he was a Slytherin. <laughs> He's thought, probably
0: a Slytherin. Yeah, it's probably a Slytherin, don't you think? He's such oh, didn't a, he
2: go to the other place? The, what was it called? Bokleth? No, that's the Klingon weapon.
0: Dermstrong.
2: Durms, Freud went to Dermstrong. He didn't
1: go to Hogwarts. <laughs> but <laughs> he, so just to bring us back to Star Lord for for a second here, right? Like the the movie doesn't go all the way and say like you know he's he continues to spiral in self destructive behavior and does you know that takes his team on a reckless uh, suicide mission and gets everyone killed, right? Like at the end of the day, right? You know. He accomplishes the objectives. You know, he, he uses his charm and his resourcefulness um, to save the day. And, like, you know, things are very messy along the way. But, you know, he comes to these realizations at the end after he saved Rocket and after he saved all the kids and after all that. So, like, well, did not, you see like, that as having a punch or, or, or no?
2: I feel like it happened over the course of the film, though. Like, I feel like he had a variety of different moments where he had to confront loss and he had to display the emotional skill to get past it. I mean, an underrated moment in the movie. I mean, I don't say underrated. I don't know how anyone rates any of these things. An underrated moment in the movie is when he's in space dying and his face just gets freaking mutilated, right? Because his whole thing is he's like, you know, attractive and charming, right? And like looks good and everybody likes him. Yeah, that's and how the you know idea, he's
0: really dead, right? Is that he's yeah. ugly now.
1: <laughs> is that, yeah, exactly. Is <laughs> that
2: he is rendered ugly. And this is a sort of final loss for him. And the idea that he survives despite this loss is a sort of, uh, it's an ultimate toleration. He's able to tolerate even that degree of loss of self. I mean, the thing with the pool is like dead on, right? The idea that you have to learn to swim rather than hop from lily pad to lily pad. A lot. I mean, it's a little bit like, his romance plot with new Gamora is maybe a little bit lacking in terms of the texture. Like Drax gets a better emotional arc than Star-Lord does at certain points in this movie, mm. which is not surprising because Drax is a better character than Star-Lord uh, and has the best <laughs> lines in every Guardians of the Galaxy movie but uh, and best scenes. But um, it's probably just because Dave Batista is the greatest actor in the world at this point. Right? <laughs> that's, that's how this all boils down to. Uh, but no, no, no. But just the idea of like um, – I'm trying to remember what are the things that he did specifically with Gamora – that suggested that he was no longer entirely self-destructive, that he was he was trying, you know, he was trying to deal with I mean, he, he, his grieving, right? His crying by Rocket Raccoon's side, right? Like his his like he's really I mean, he screams in that moment when he thinks Rocket is dead Um, and there's real pain there, you know, and that's the pain that he can't face. And, and he faces it. You know, I mean, it. granted, he sure. does it in a okay. way that, like, yeah. is uncomfortable to other people, but that's part of the other thing is that maybe, maybe part of it for him is he's not comfortable. He can't tolerate being uncomfortable and uncomfortable presence for other people. Uh, he has to be charming and comfortable for everybody. And so he can't just scream, right? He can't just, like, totally lose himself, uh, which maybe you just need to do that because you're that upset. But no, no, I, I mean, I'm over talking. He, he,
0: he loses himself in the music, the moment.
2: Yeah, he owns true. it. He yeah. better
0: never let it go.
2: Yeah, that's true. The music, I forgot about the music. Maybe the music is what helps him cope. What are some of the songs he listens to?
0: In this, yeah, In this I don't know. I, this one, the um, it was less of a, it was sort of foregrounded less, right? The kind of the instrumental use of the music, right? Like, and it with like, hey, let's let's put this tape on to have a party, you know, was the the vibe of at least the, the first movie, um, which was sort of the mother movie, right? And then the second movie is the father movie. You know, and, uh, th- this, this one was less, I just like, I, I, I thought like three things about, about this movie when I watched it. One is the, the, um, the stuff about uh, disorder and, and uh, antisocial behavior versus uh, perfection that, that we've talked about. Um, the second thing was all the trauma di- narrative stuff, which we're, we're starting to kind of dig into a little bit. And then the third was that it was just a downer, man. Like it was, you know, there were things to appreciate, but like uh, I, I wouldn't call it a romp. Was it a romp? So anyway, so. No, uh,
2: you called it a romp. You're the one who called it a romp. I was surprised you called it a romp. No, I, I, was, it wasn't being, a romp.
0: I was being ironical.
2: Uh, <laughs> you know before my son went to bed i watched uh, thomas the tank engine all engines go that was a romp it was even a caper <laughs> it's great uh, no so like here's an example i think you're right matt and and uh and mark i want to hear your take on music too but i'll just throw in the, this movie was constantly playing with diegetic versus non-diegetic music and the shifting between the music being diegetic and non-diegetic right like like it happened so many times that a character is listening to music and then oh, is everybody listening to the music? And now you're listening to the music. Mm, so, like, yeah. a, a good example of a scene like this, as, as I'm looking at the playlist and remembering, is of course, like, what does Star Lord do to cope with grief? Oh, he stands on the bridge and stares into space and listens to the flaming lips, right? Like, uh, do you realize that you have the most beautiful face, right? Like, that song. He's just like, he's basically just like full on emoing to that song while he's like standing there and he's supposed to be in charge of everything. And so we listen to it, but really it's him listening to it. And it sort of jumps back and forth between it being in his ears and being in our ears. Um you know, there's the uh there's what there's the No Sleep Till Brooklyn. They're really interesting cut. Oh,
0: yeah, Why well, I was not even of course it starts the whole thing starts with a, a um with, acoustic version of Creep. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sets the sets the stage, <laughs> yeah.
2: You know? Which is just this idea of self loathing, you know, and like, and also like internalized self loathing because of the loathing of others, and of course also because of feelings of loss. Um, you know, you're a terrible person because you're not worthy of love because the people who loved you died, and it's your fault, right? Like, yep. and, and, and it was and just that, like that true that POB. for like a half dozen different characters in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> at the beginning.
1: I mean, like you see you see Rocket singing along to it, but it, it also is very much to applied to Peter. Yeah, as well, yeah, it's yeah. it's like it is a, is a cliche choice in a certain way, but also just like very very effective <laughs> yeah. for what it was doing here.
2: It's interesting <laughs> to think about what "No Sleep Till Brooklyn" means to Peter Quill versus just to, to Rocket. Because Peter Quill gets like the like in his ear version of No Sleep Till Brooklyn and then Rocket gets the full non-diegetic like action movie version of No Sleep Till Brooklyn, right? Because it like it like it like sweeps from Quill to Rocket and then kicks into No Sleep Till Brooklyn for the second time. And it's like, okay, for Peter Quill, I can think, well, what does it mean? No Sleep Till Brooklyn. It means you have to go home. It means that, like, I can't, I, I, you know, miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Like, I have to go, which is, you know, not a reference, but not entirely accurate. We've talked about that before. Do
1: you think Peter Quill has seen the movie The Warriors? I think he's too young. I hope not. Probably right. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, the part of like. Central to the story.
0: I mean, the high, the high like, evolutionary gives... has because that's the aesthetic of all of the <laughs> war
2: Pigs, you know? <laughs> If you go to Coney Island, it's just in, in, in Counter Earth. It's all the war. It's all different versions of the warriors. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, the the idea that like uh, you know you 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 aren't going to you aren't going to rest until you go home you're not going to feel okay until you go home and so you have and like this is standing between you and going home and you have to move through it versus also this idea of like no sleep till brooklyn as brooklyn is this place of like rough and tumble action and this this idea that i'm from you know i'm from brooklyn and we're not stopping and i actually don't even know what the lyrics that song say because i feel like the core the chorus gets the point across but uh does anyone listen to the lyrics of Beastie boy songs sure Um, yeah
1: OK, I, mean, I can't quote them to you now, but like it, is, yeah. it gets the job. I mean, yes. All again, I really want <laughs> is girls. <laughs> uh.
2: <laughs> Intergalactic okay. planetary. I guess I should say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because like a, a lot of those sleep to Brooklyn is just people being like, I'm really intense. I'm like super intense. <laughs> right? Like and you're super intense also, uh, you know, and, and like all sorts of things about being intense, um, which is uh, or sort of like, OK, Rocket Raccoon is bringing bringing the hammer down. Um,
1: yeah. I, I just like one thing other thing to add here that, uh, that song has a, and the BC boys, I think in general have a certain ragged quality, which again, is in keeping with the, the broader themes, um, an sure. aesthetic of the movie. Yeah.
0: yeah, totally. I, so this, this soundtrack looking at it on a Wikipedia thing, which I'll link up in the, in the show notes, like, um, it's kind of, bi- it has like a bimodal distribution, right? Between the songs by heart, and, uh, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and, you know, like stuff that belong on the, the awesome mix volume one, yep. right? And, uh, then songs by like Flor, Radiohead, Florence and the Machine. I mean, those, those are separated, I guess, by, by a decade of, you know, uh, cultural relevance, but, um, yeah, like less more flaming lips, contemporary yeah, more more contemporary stuff. So there is there is kind of like I I feel like the the soundtrack of this movie doesn't necessarily tell the coherent story that the soundtrack of the first movie uh the first movie did. I mean, fitting yeah. I guess if you're if your thing is about how the um uh, uh, uh you know, is about how how it's all it's all messy, how it's all kind of messy. <laughs> H- Heteroglossy,
1: you know? I think is the, is is that an accurate <laughs> Uh, use of it, is a,
0: it is a heteroglossia. Yes, it speaks
2: many languages. It felt much more scene by scene. I will. I will say that I'm still a little haunted by the song "Crazy on You" and the way it was used in the movie. Like that was. That was just great. That was. Just, there's just. There's just layers, man. If you, they should just play that before the third act of any Marvel movie because that's really what they're expressing, right? Which is like. Uh, What, we still have time. We might still get by. Every time I think about it, I want to cry with bombs and the devil, and the kids keep coming. No way to breathe easy, no time to be young. But I tell myself I'm doing all right. There's nothing left to do tonight. It's basically like, but punching in portals, right? Like, punching, (laughs) punching, punching in portals, punching, punching, punching in portals. It's just this like, I'm coming into the MCU and I'm going to fight someone for no reason. (laughs) Like, it's just like, uh, (laughs) <laughs> I, just the like the guitar lick and like the the entrance of adam warlock who has no purpose in life right like who has no idea what he's doing and it's just like i'm gonna go fight a protagonist right like, and uh and and there's just there's a beauty to it that's being expressed in his sort of streaking th- across the sky right to uh to make another inappropriate literary reference a screaming is it a screaming across the, what how exactly is it what is that first line of gravity a screaming, comes across the rainbow. sky yeah what is it
0: a screaming comes across the sky
2: yeah 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 it which is happened. sort of like what adam warlock does at the beginning yeah
0: absolutely you <laughs> yeah, know. yeah
2: yeah yeah and just but yeah it's a scene-by-scene scene thing the music is not a it doesn't have that kind of role of being i a feel like in the second shepherd. in
0: the second hour of the podcast we should talk about this film's many deaths to thomas <laughs> Pynchon. <laughs> Of course, <laughs>
2: I think, I think probably about three fifty. <laughs> um, so like, I mean, I don't know. The The first thing I said about this movie, I mean, I don't know, Mark, you want to talk more about music before I go on another tangent? No, no, no. no.
1: I, I think uh, we we'll probably have time like, to like cover one other thing. Like maybe it might, uh, might possibly be the religious stuff?
2: Yeah. Um, I just wanted to other. say okay, like, sure, sure. Yeah. like if you ever wanted to know the sort of state of contemporary politics, all you have to remember is, Is how often people weigh in in public about like the religious significance of movies and like nobody I heard nothing religious about this movie. And this is one of the in my opinion, at least in my response, this is one of the most Christian movies I've ever seen. Right, like in, 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 and you and you've seen Terminator too. I've seen Terminator too. Uh, and this is like a, this is a very, to me at least, Christian movie. It is true. Um, In the
0: in the third act, he rose from the dead in fulfillment of the scriptures.
2: In the third act, literal Adam is given his gifts. Like Adam shows up. Uh, no, no. Cause well, okay. Cause like this is a, and, and, and nobody would say, cause it's not religious in the ways that are political. It's sort of what I'm getting at. Right. It's like, it's, it's, you. It, the movie goes through all of the corporal works of mercy. When was the last time that you saw a movie that was about like visiting the sick, visiting people in prison, burying the dead, sheltering the homeless. It even starts <laughs> with giving drink to the thirsty, right? like and giving alms to the poor is in there too. So it's like, like it's it's just this. Uh, oh, I, I should I mention all of them so I don't forget. Uh, visit sick prisoners, bury the dead. No, I think I got them. I think I got all of them. Uh, but yeah, just this like this idea of why should you care that the la, that the that the lowest of the why should you care about the lowest of the low is this question and the high evolutionary philosophy doesn't give you a reason to care about the lowest of the low because you're you're looking at a sort of instrumental purpose for society at large and you're not doing it from behind any sort of Rawlsian veil of ignorance where you're like presupposing moral luck you're saying like what does society look like I want society to look great and so like the lowest of the low don't get I don't care about them right and then like so like you know uh, when you're doing it for the least of my brothers, you're doing it for me, right? Like there's this notion of like the people who don't care are, are unhappy. They're doomed. They're jerks. And, and there's even like an allusion to the idea that there's a sort of greater hand on events, right? That's like, you know, like the high evolutionary co- literally like is staring out his window at the face of God in this movie and being condemned by all the people around him for his vanity. When he mm-hmm. like uh, when he like rejects God. Now, uh, granted, I don't think that this is like a re- movie that's trying to convert you to a particular religion. I think this is a movie that's interrogating religious ideas uh, in, in a very, very conscious way. Um, but in particular, I think it's doing it from the standpoint of embracing a lot of ideas that don't have as firm a sort of uh what would i say intellectual grounding as like a cultural grounding and traditional grounding like the idea that you should care about people who are unfortunate right is like you know like as an obligation that's really a social thing you know it's like it's 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 not that uh I don't know. I find I find that intellectual philosophy struggled to come up with good reasons to like spend extra time and energy on like on, on like people who are down in their luck or like less capable in society for various reasons like or like heart hurt or starving. Right. There's all these reasons about like, well, you know, sure, uh, because intellectual
0: uh, intellectual philosophy is done at, at elite institutions of learning. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you have to. They have to like bifurcate it, and they have to like separate the activities of like the intellectualism, and then like the going out and actually talking to real people about their problems have to be kind of separate activities. The praxis has to be separate because it's so hard to reconcile with the intellectualism in a lot of these cases. But yeah, like I mean, just like uh, I mean, what the, the the finger touch of Adam, you know, like the heaven, the uh, gosh, I mean, I mean, of course, the the pieta at the very beginning of the movie, sure. Right. Like um, there's all sorts of religious art that's being expressed in this movie and devotional art. But but I guess I mean ideas of like caring for people who are lesser than you, forgiving and lesser than you. I shouldn't say that's really rude to say. I mean, more like caring for people who uh, need it, you know, like like and also acknowledging that people who don't have a lot but who give all they have have given just as much as those who have a lot and give a lot. Right? Mm. And in fact, yeah. like those who have that's, the most really are good. expected to give the most, you know, like that's sort of what you have to yeah. do. You know, you basically have to like sell everything you own, get in a spaceship, (laughs) like fly, fly up to the other spaceship, take on all the orphans and all the animals, you know, and then then you can get to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Right. Like that kind of thing.
1: Um, These these are all really good interpretations and and they're spot on. Um, But there's something about like kind of like this notion of where the soul comes from, which is kind of got me scratching my head. I think because it, and it goes back again to, to the the high um, the high evolutionary right who was definitely like a false god right he's yes. trying to be a god but he, he's clearly incapable he of it. literally has
2: a skin face on his face because he looks like yeah exactly sorry go ahead I'll, I'll stop yeah
1: so and and like you know he's trying and failing to you know put the poor creatures in the evolution chamber and turn them into sentient beings who are not just like consumed with rage right so he is failing at god because he can't do that right but who figures it out how how to, how to successfully do that and kind of imbue a a mere beast with a with a soul and sentience rocket does right mm. he does it through uh his ingenuity through through science and that to me actually was like kind of a, uh an anti-theist statement from the movie and that combined as well with the with the with the with the sissy chapel scene where um you know the the fallen superhero, um, uh, reaches out and saves, uh, say say Star Lord. There, um, it's like who's is Adam is that Warlock supposed to be God? There, in a way, he he's, he's certainly godlike, but again, that that struck me like kind of the combination of those two things, right? You know, Rocket, um, figuring out how to give the bee sentience, and then also Adam Warlock doing the saving, um. As opposed to uh, I don't know exactly who else could, could have could have been saving, but the two of those were like, okay, like this is saying like you know God is, is it, that's what it is because Adam, Adam Warlock you know had had his fall from grace and had to kind of like, be redeemed and like become part of the crew. It's like other people save each other, not a God, not kind of mm-hmm. like a, a a mysterious force from above, so i mean those those you know that, that those ideas can exist as well as the Christian themes that you talked about as yeah, well
2: yeah I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, totally of course yeah because i think we're we're identifying different components of the traditions of the belief system mm, the, yeah, the hey, idea of like because because the way that i found it to be christian was its beliefs and its practices like the things yeah. that it sort of suggested that people ought to do uh and ought not to do and and the sort of reasons for why they ought and ought not to do it not necessarily it's it's mysticism right um and uh and then i guess what i would also suggest is like well we could dig into the Sistine Chapel thing, right so I mean, you're familiar with the Sistine Chapel like um the shape behind God, right um, if you look at this I'm gonna bring this it is up. some
0: this is some Robert Langdon uh symbiology not the devil wear's Prada the 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 Da Vinci code stuff this is, is this, da, yeah. this is Da Vinci code stuff you Are you
2: sure here. you don't you don't you don't buy it you don't think it's it's legit do you think it's influenced the movie at all? It's uh,
0: influenced the uh, the film that that Adam Warlock is like a human nervous system, uh, you know. I yeah. don't know. The, oh, how
2: it's the so, shape of a brain. So yeah the the the, right. the thing we're talking about is yeah this this fringy idea that the birth of Adam in the birth of Adam the sort of vision of of God and the angels that comes to give birth to Adam is in front of a shape that is you know conjectured by these people to be a human brain which uh which would which can be interpreted of course in a wide variety of ways right the idea that one of the one of the more kind of less less kind of edgy ways of interpreting it is that like the the idea of what these beings are like must exist in our own minds even if it is to an extent something that like you know may or may not exist in the metaphysics of the universe uh it also is this idea like you know we are we are constrained within our own minds for our ability to comprehend like great things like that. Um, you know, and, I mean, you could go through sort of ontological ideas and uh, the idea that like, you can use your mind to think about these things. But the point being that like Adam Warlock is supposed to be this like peak of creation of human creation, right? He's this thing that people made and people made him because they wanted to make this sort of great and wonderful and perfect thing. And then the thing that people made the sort of vision of perfection kind of like comes around to the sort of dross person who is dying, and then there's sort of this interaction between kind of like perfection and uh, and kind of earth and ash, right? That kind of brings the ash back, uh, and sort of and so the idea is like if you're contemplating an act of creation by a being that is sort of greater than what you can comprehend, then your image of what that being is going to be is necessarily going to be like a projection, right, of some kind of what something that you can conceive. Um, and I think, I mean, I think really what it comes down to is like the act of creation, the real moment of perfection that Adam Warlock arrives at is when he decides to be merciful, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like, and that, that when he decides that he's going to use his powers to like save a single wretched dying person, you know, like, and he's going to reach out and he's going to kind of give rebirth to that person. And in that sense, he also kind of gives birth to himself, um, uh, as, as Adam, as this sort of like, you know, um, new person um so yeah so i mean i guess the idea of like is you know is god the this sort of singular personality that is is sort of clear and extant and like observable um or is it something that's sort of observed through projection observed through in through mystery like uh, incapable of being like fully comprehended because whenever you kind of look at it you also see it through your own mindset because your own brain kind of constrains what you can understand um and and uh which can be seen in variety of ways. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit too deep on this. But but I do think it's a really interesting and cool moment. Which is like, which is, I mean, it's a symbol because you can, because it's not a, it's not a strict metaphor. Um, it's this moment of like, of mercy and saving and birthing. Um, I mean, you could also say that star is reborn in that moment as a new person. Because after that point, he has that opportunity mm-hmm. to change his life. Um, and do, the, do, you think, yeah. do
1: you think Drax uh, grasps the difference between the symbol and the metaphor? When want that scene took place.
2: Yeah. I, I Brax, Trax totally gets the metaphor. You know that one time he had a poop that looked like a fish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's uh, draw this, let's draw this mission to a close guardians. Thank you very much. Everyone who uh, is listening to us and thanks to Mark and to Pete for uh, podcasting with us. We'll be back next week with more overthinking It podcast. Till then you can visit us on the web at overthinking where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve I'm a mother effing Star-Lord.
2: You're a good dog, man.
0: Thank you. Oh, God, we didn't even talk about the best character <laughs> in this movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs>